before Easter, if you remember, we were off-site at Chicago Christian High School, and that's where we talked about David and who? Who was it? David and Goliath, big tall Goliath. And uh, if you were there, you remember that David slew Goliath, and it was amazing, and it shot him to overnight fame. And we're continuing with David this morning, but interesting, interesting what the title of the next chapter is. You know, if, uh, if you got to write your own life story, and if it were like a book, and you got to title the chapters and decide how the story went, um, there'd be some chapters that you wouldn't choose to include in your story. If you look into your past, there are some things God has written into your story that if you were the author, would have never made it in. Am I right? I think this is one of those chapters in David's life. Oh, David and Goliath, it'd be in. It'd be in. But what about David in the cave? What about David, the king in a cave? Why would God lead his next king to a deep, dark cave of despair? You see, after a glorious victory over Goliath on the battlefield, the king, Saul, was murderously angry and envious and jealous. So after a period where David was on the top of the mountain. He was famous. He was beloved in the nation. He had an amazing job, an amazing wife, and everything seemed to be coming together. It all crashed down. And it crashed down all around him overnight. He had to flee. He had to run fast because the king wanted to kill him. This leaves us wondering, and it left him wondering, why God would allow these cave moments, these cave chapters, into our story. Why didn't he just get him on the throne already? Well, I heard a poem this last week that I think talks about the way God deals with each one of us. Let me read it to you. When God wants to drill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and which every purpose fuses him by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. Watch his methods, watch his ways. A.W. Tozer put it more simply by saying this, before God can use a man greatly, he must first wound him deeply. We will see that there were lessons David learned on the battlefield. There were lessons David learned in the field watching sheep. There are going to be lessons he will learn on the throne. But there are certain lessons of faith that can only be learned in the cave. These are lessons God wants you to learn. These are lessons God wants David to learn. Let's pray and then we'll talk about faith lessons from the cave. Lord, I thank you that your word is honest about this life what we can expect from this life, where you will direct us. I thank you that your word does not promise 
only sunny days, only good stories, only happy endings. I praise you that your word promises that in this world we will face trouble. David faced trouble. Jesus faced trouble. We will face trouble. But what's your plan? How do you work? What are you doing when we face these moments? Speak to us about these truths, Lord. Teach us these lessons of faith today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19. Verse 11 is where we're going to start. David had a pretty sweet life. His job was pretty much, he was the bodyguard of the king. He was captain of the bodyguard. So it would be like you getting hired to be the leader of the secret service. Hey, that's not a bad job, huh? Head agent in the secret service. He had a pretty nice wife. She was a, she was a princess. She was King Saul's daughter. So he, celebrity wedding. He had a house. He had an income. He was famous. He had a reputation. Check out chapter 19, verse 11. It says, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. Kill him in the morning. The king gave the order to kill David in the morning. What would that feel like? I'll tell you what it would feel like. It would feel like if you woke up tomorrow morning and there were just, you know, guys in suits with glasses and earpieces just walking around the house, you know, just checking things out, and you're thinking to yourself, they're not with ComEd. Something's going on here. And, And then you find out that an executive order has been issued for your execution tomorrow. That's what it felt like to be David. You think his pulse went up? You think his stress level was elevated? You think he was panicking at all? The king just ordered that he be killed. It's verse 11. It goes on to say this, but Michael, David's wife, Michael, remember Michael? Now she was Saul's daughter. So Saul's own family now is helping David. But Michael, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. Now this is kind of funny, and it's kind of, I mean, think about it. Would you even try this with your wife? (laughs) Okay, honey, hold the bed sheet. All right, you got it? You're holding it, right? Okay, now, like, woo! How they even did this, who knows? But she's letting him down the window, you know? And then there he goes, and, and, and he hits the ground, and it's nighttime, and wherever the Secret Service is, didn't catch him, and off he goes. Um, this, if you ask me, is humiliating. This is humiliating for a guy to have to escape out of his own house, out of his own city, away from his own country, especially after God said he's going to be the next king. Hey, jot this down in your notes. David went from champion to caveman overnight, retracing his steps to the cave. But it was a very fast and abrupt change in his life. Somebody reached over and jerked the wheel, and his entire course was altered. David went from champion to caveman overnight. The mountaintop moment of slaying Goliath was over. 
he was now running at night from soldiers who had permission to kill him. Look down at verse 22. Actually, what's happening here is this. Saul finds out David got away. He sends three groups of messengers to find him and track him down. David ran to Samuel. If you remember correctly, Samuel was a what? What was Samuel? Say a little louder. He was a what? Okay. And if, if you read the Old Testament at all, you know, never mess with a prophet. Okay. I hear that they sell time machines on eBay. If you buy one and go to the Old Testament, never mess with a prophet. All right. You might want to write that down. Saul messed with Samuel. He's like, go get him. And these group of messengers, what happened was, as the first group approached Samuel, they just started out of nowhere. They just started bursting out in either a form of prophecy or teaching or praise or something. I think it's probably a mix of the three, but they're just walking and they're just like out of nowhere. Great is thy faith. What was that? I don't know. He just started singing. Come on, we got to go get David. And then another one starts singing. And the Spirit of God began to arrest these men. Spiritually. So by the time they got to Samuel, they were prophesying and praising the Lord and singing. And so, so Saul sent another group. Same thing. Then he sent a third group. Same thing. Don't mess with the prophet. Then Saul decided, I'm going to go myself. I'm going myself. I'm going to go there and I'm going to bring David back myself. Well, look at what happened. Verse 22. It says, Then he, Saul himself, went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Seku. And he asked, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Naoth in Ramah. And he went there to Naoth in Ramah. And the Spirit of God came upon him also as he was. So now he's going. And he's like, Blessed be the name of the Lord. What was that? Why did I start singing? And then he just starts like, you know, quoting scripture. Like, oh, the Lord is good to those who are near to him. In spite of himself. And the closer he got to Samuel, the more he lost control of his own being. And <laughs> get this. The Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes. And he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and all that night. As he's getting close to Samuel, he's just in the Spirit. He's just like, he's just talking and singing. And he just starts undressing. And he takes his cloak off and he takes his sandals off. And by the time he gets to Samuel... He's on the floor, nude, just like this. Oh, God is so good. Oh, God is so good. Oh, he's amazing. All day and all night. Hey, does God have a sense of humor? Samuel's just sitting there like, (laughs) get my phone out and take some pictures of this. This is going viral. This is humiliation. And David's getting away. So Saul and God is guarding his getaway. And also showing Saul who's in charge. So Saul is humiliated. David gets away. David doesn't even know this happened for a while. He's just running for his life. So check out what happens in chapter 21, verse 10. Look ahead to 21, verse 10. David just made a stop. He stopped at a a priest's house in in Nob. And uh, 
he told a lie. Okay, and he said, I'm on the king's business. I, I ran out real fast. I don't even have a, have a sword. I don't have a, he's lying. Not a good choice. And the priest said, oh yeah, we've, we've got a sword here. We've only got one sword, but it's, it's Goliath's sword. Coincidence? David leaves the priest's house after having lied with Goliath's sword. And his courage began to fail him. His strength began to fail him. And in chapter 21, verse 10, it says this, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of, the king of what? What does it say there? What does it say there? Gath. Who's from Gath? Goliath is from Gath. Very interesting. I just wonder, we don't know for sure, but I just wonder in David's own heart as he's got Goliath's sword and he's going to the hometown, I wonder if there was a pressure, a temptation in his heart to turn, to say, forget this, I'm done with my people, and to become Goliath. I don't know. It's just interesting that he walks into town with the sword. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. This is not David's finest moment. Scared to death, even though he's holding a trophy of what God did in his past. And he's like, they're going to kill me, they're going to kill me, they're going to kill me, they're going to kill me. What can I do? I can act crazy. Ah, he's just drooling all over himself. Who is that? He's just like over on the city walls, just like, just like, ah, ah. The next king of Israel. This is humiliating. You got one king lying nude, babbling like an idiot over there. You got another king pretending to be insane. Behold, your two candidates. Which one are you going to vote for? This is not a good time for Israel. David went from champion to caveman overnight. Listen, David, David was a man after God's own heart, okay? And we don't need to clean up the ugly of this struggle right now because you can be a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, and have really humiliating periods in your walk with the Lord, okay? This was not David at his finest. His lie to the priest made Saul think the priests helped him. He said to the priest, why did you help David get away? This We didn't know he was getting away. He didn't tell us that. Saul ordered the execution of 84 priests. And then he sent somebody to the village and killed the whole town. Hundreds of people died. Why? Because David lied. This was not David at his finest. What made this different is... On the battlefield, David had righteous permission to kill Goliath. He did fine when he could swing the sword. But no one has permission to kill the king God has anointed himself. And just like what made this trial different is David did not have the ability to take care of the problem himself. And just like Peter in the New Testament, he'd swing the sword. 
But when Jesus said, put down the sword, Peter was gone. Peter was gone. And here, this trial is interesting and unique because David had no right to end it himself. He had to wait for God. He had to trust God. So look at chapter 22, verse 1. Well, actually, finishing up chapter 21, verse 14, then Achish said to his servants, Behold, do you see the man is mad? Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? You have brought me this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? I've got enough loonies around here. Shall this fellow come into my house? Get rid of him. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And there he arrives in the cave. We've got a picture of this cave. We'll put it up on the screen. It's the cave of Adullam that David ran to. Would you vacation there? Would you like to spend a day there? How about a day and a night? Would you like to be there when the sun went down? What was it like to be in a cave? Show this next picture here. Let's just pretend for a moment. Let's, let's pretend we're in a cave together. Bring the, bring the lights down. Show this next picture. Let's just for a moment pretend that this is where God's plan took you. Doesn't look too bad. Daytime. Sun goes down and the bats start flying around and David's first day and night in the cave. He was there for a while. It was dark. It was damp. It was quiet. It was lonely. The floor was rock hard. I think this symbolized what David had lost. He had lost his job. He had lost his wife. He found out later they gave her to another man. He had lost his home, his bed, his possessions. He also lost his reputation because Saul told everyone that he was rising up against the throne, planning to kill Saul. So no longer, he was no longer a patriot, a giant slayer. He was now a rebel. He was disloyal. So he was forced to wander in the wilderness, in the forests, in the caves, the rocky hills for years. Years. His early teens, he was a shepherd, but he knew he was going to be king. His late teens, at some point, he killed Goliath. His early 20s, he served in the court of the king. His late 20s, he lived in a cave. For years. Hey, is that where you are right now? Is that where you are? Wondering how you got here, why God led you here, how long you're going to be here. Even after God made all these amazing promises that you believe and claimed, and you were even doing the right things. But there you are. You could bring the lights back up. David was not alone in the cave. It says his family came. They were obviously also afraid for their lives. His brothers and all his father's house heard it. They went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became captain over them. There were with him about 400 men. Ask yourself this. Are you sitting in a cave? Well, how do I know? How do I know? Well, you could jot this down. I'm broken 
by my failure. I'm broken by my failure. I've sinned and it hurt a lot of people. And the guilt and the shame is unbearable. If that's you, David was there. He cost people their lives. Or how about this? I'm afraid of what the future holds. Someone is trying to ruin me, or they already have, and I'm afraid of what the future holds. That's David. Or how about this? I'm devastated by my loss. I've lost someone, I've lost something, maybe I've lost everything that mattered. Maybe your marriage is broken beyond repair. Maybe a a business or a career that you have, it just shattered all around you. Maybe there was a romance and you thought it, it could be, but it's not. Maybe you have a child who you've tried to reach and tried to turn and tried to change and they're just off. I'm devastated by my loss. And there you sit down on the rock, hard, dark floor, wondering, why am I here? I'm broken, I'm afraid, I'm devastated. Maybe I'm just I'm struggling to walk by faith. I'm struggling to walk by faith. God's promises are painfully delayed. I feel like I'm going crazy. I'm on the edge, disoriented, tempted to take drastic action that I don't even know if it will work. I'm hopelessly confused. I certainly can't see God's goodness and I'm wondering where He is. I'm struggling to walk by faith. Are you in a cave? Are you wondering why? Are you wondering how long you're going to be there? If you are, you're probably wondering why would God allow this? David was wondering the same thing in chapter 22, verse 3. It says, David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please, let my father and my mother stay with you, listen, till I know what God will do for me. I have no idea what God is doing. I have no idea. There are periods where God will not tell you what he's doing. Jesus said to the disciples the night that he was betrayed, What I am doing now you do not yet understand. said, but afterward you will. Why would God allow this? Are you wondering, why why is God allowing evil to prevail over good? Why is God not hearing my prayers and answering me quicker? Why, 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 why? You're wondering maybe why is God allowed innocent people to face harm or even suffer death? Why would he do that? This is what David was thinking in the cave. Well, there are answers. Why would God allow this? Well, you can jot this down first. The cave knocks our crutches out from under us. The cave knocks our crutches out from under us. And I got this from Chuck Swindoll. This is the way that he summarized this chapter in David's life. God's not doing nothing. God's doing something painful and new to stretch you and grow you. But first, he has to find everything that you're leaning on in life. And one thing at a time, he needs to kick it out from under you. So you're not leaning on this person anymore. You're not leaning on anything. And someone has once said that you don't know God is all you need until God is all you truly have. You don't know God is all you need until God is all you truly have. And God goes around and kicks the crutches out from under you. You fall and you fall hard. 
And you begin to wonder why he would do this. There's a reason. David wrote, he was a songwriter, he was a poet, and he wrote most of the Psalms. They would become the songbook, the hymn book of the Old Testament. They would sing these in the temple. And do you know that some of these Psalms David wrote in the cave? Or he wrote it around the time when he was acting like a madman. He, he would sit down and process these things and write songs as reflection. Psalm 34.8, you're familiar with this. We'll put it up on the screen. But listen to what it says. He wrote this at this time. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is... What? Okay, I could see him writing that if like his dreams all came true. But from a cave? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I want you to know this word refuge. I want you to carry this word out with you today. The word refuge means storm shelter. Storm shelter. Oh, you like the story of God calming the storm when Jesus spoke, be still. And the storm went away. You love, we all love that story, right? But what about the story when the storm doesn't? cease in an instant. That's where this word becomes crucial. If you don't understand that God leaves most storms out there, you don't understand that one of the things He wants to be to you is a refuge, you won't understand what He's doing. He wants to teach you that He is your refuge, He is your storm shelter. And I don't mean a small storm. I mean when you look out your front window and you see this thing coming at you. What do we do now? Calm the storm. No. Well, then what do I do now? No one ever told me what to do when you don't calm the storm. Here it comes. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Make God your refuge. Make God the place you run, the place you hide, the place you sit, the place you stay, the safe cover over your life. And make sure you're not picking up other crutches to replace the ones that God kicks out from under you. What did David lose? He lost his job. He lost his wife. He lost his everything. He had nothing to lean on. But if you're not careful, you can make other things your refuge. You can look to other things for comfort to get by, to help you through this storm. Hey, are you running? Are you running to alcohol? Are you running to it in the morning, in the evening, is it your crutch? Are you running to bad friends? Are you running to the party? Are you running, are you running to food? Are you running to food to dull the hunger for God? Are you running to media? Just get online. Just go numb for hours. Just numb it all and forget what's going on. Are you running to God? These things are not bad in and of themselves, but if this is the way you're coping in the cave, listen, if you could go back in time and you walked into the cave and David's like got his harp thrown on the side and he's like on Hulu Plus catching up on the fifth season of The Office, are you running to God? David says he made God his refuge. The truth was the cave wasn't the cave. God was the cave. God became the refuge, the safe place for David to be until the storm passed. The cave serves a purpose. It knocks our crutches out from under us. 
Jot this down too, the cave. Why would God allow it? The cave reveals what is really in our heart. The cave reveals what is really in our heart. David had some character flaws that began to surface here. And listen, you don't really know what's in a person until you squeeze them, until life pressures them, and then what's inside, what's stored up in the heart, comes out for all to see. This is the truth. And David had problems. His weapon of choice in the wilderness was deception. He lied. He was a liar. And he was good at it. He was very good at it. This would be a character flaw that would haunt him throughout his whole life. It would come to a climax in the times of Bathsheba when for a whole year he covers something up and it almost costs him his life. And it does cost him the throne. David was a liar. He also had a temper. During this period, he almost kills a man for dissing David's name. Somebody has to talk him back off the ledge. He has an anger problem, which serves him well on the battlefield, but not elsewhere. David also has a lust problem, and in these cave days, he takes two wives to replace his one. Eventually, the count grows up to seven by the time he's king, and then down the road, he'll have countless wives and concubines. This is a problem. God allows it. He doesn't condone it. Instead, he allows this to corrode David's family to the point of where an all-out family war breaks out and it costs him his throne. David has problems and these problems are surfacing in the cave. And David knew it. Psalm 34, 13-14, we'll put it on the screen. He writes this right from this time after he had lied to the priest and gone on the run and it cost people their lives. He says this, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. In the cave, when the flaws come out, resist the temptation to do evil. You know that when you're squeezed, the true you comes out? You see, we would like to think that if God would just fix our circumstances, we would be different. Lord, fix my coworkers. Lord, fix my spouse. Lord, change my finances. Then I'll be different. And God's thinking, that's not the way it works. You see, the problems around you show the problems within you. And when you're squeezed and when you're around that person, oh, I'm, I'm normally a patient guy, but when I get around that person, what comes out of my mouth is not my responsibility. It's their fault. No, 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 no. The hard people in your life, the hard problems in your life, the tough spots in your life, introduce all the world to you. You can't decide, oh, well, that was me, but that was not. When I'm around him, I'm not me. When I'm around her, that's me. No. You're meeting the real you. And if you don't take responsibility for your own choices and words and thoughts and actions, you start blaming the circumstance. If I just had different geography... Just pack it up and move it. Yeah, well, you've seen those people in your life, haven't you? Another house, another job, another spouse, another this, and does anything ever get better? Because the problem's not. You keep blaming, God won't be able to change you. The cave reveals what is really in our heart. There are some lessons that David learned in the cave. These are lessons we have to learn in the cave. And we're drawing these lessons from these cave psalms that David wrote. There are several of them, but jot this down. First, the cave is meant to teach us prayer. The cave is meant to teach us prayer. Hey, are you learning prayer? Is your cave 
taking your prayer life to where it's never been before. Psalm 142, 1-2, this is another cave psalm. It says this, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. I read a quote by John Chrysostom here about prayer that really moved me this last week. It says this, The potency of prayer hath subdued the strength of fire. It hath bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, assuaged diseases, repelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course. Prayer is a treasure undiminished, a mind which is never exhausted. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. Hey, is your prayer life going where it's never gone before because of the cave? Or are you getting quiet? If you want to get in shape physically, they have an acronym you can use, and I think it applies to your prayer life too. It's, it's called FIT. And, uh, and you, if you want to get in shape physically, you could change the frequency of your workouts, which means more often, or the intensity, which means you're throwing more effort into it, or the time, meaning you're just doing it for more minutes. This works for prayer too. And ask yourself this, how is the frequency of your prayer life? Should you be praying more frequently than you are? What about the intensity? Is it getting cold? Is it getting predictable? Is it getting rote? Is it getting routine? What about the time, just the number of minutes you're doing it? How's it going? I would love for our church in this month to prioritize this and to just take our prayer life to where it's never been. And especially for those of us who are in a cave. Hey, are you learning prayer? Are you learning prayer? The cave is meant to teach us prayer. Next, the cave is meant to teach us patience. Patience. The process is important in order to grow our faith. And why is it when a trial comes into our lives, we feel like God hits the slow motion button and it's not going away fast. We want microwave, and God says, crockpot. Why? Why is it lasting so long when you can't change it right away? Why so slow? Okay, how many of you want God to write epic stories in your life of His faithfulness? Raise your hand if you want some God stories in your life. Okay, many of you, right? I want them too. See, but I want them to be short stories. I don't want a chapter book. Let's get to the climax fast, right? I would even satisfy for like a God poem. Like, and like, like a short, like a, like a God, like in my life, write like an epic haiku. I mean, get it done in a day and make it unforgettable. Amen. And God's like, no, I'm going on chapter 14. And it's the third chapter in the, the set of chapters that deals with the cave. And it's like, hey, if you're honest and you look back in your life, there are some chapters that you'd rather rip out. If you were writing the book, they wouldn't have gone in. General editor you doesn't make the cut. 
But you see, these are the times we look back on where we learn faith, where we learn patience, where we learn prayer. God's teaching you patience. God is patient. And he wants you to be like him. You could ask him to hurry up and teach you patience, but I don't think he's going to answer that prayer. God wants you to be patient. Psalm 57, 1-2, David says this, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. There's that word again. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I imagine David writing this as like the, the whole room is shaking and the windows are breaking and like, you know, there's rain coming in. He's writing till the storm passes. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. David understands that God's plan is not failing. This is the way he's making the plan happen. There are things you can only learn in the cave. You can't learn them on the battlefield. You won't learn them on the throne in the palace. That's why God will drive you to these caves. Are you learning prayer? Are you learning patience? Here's the next one. Are you learning self-control? Ask yourself that. Are you learning self-control? Look at chapter 24, verse 1. It says in chapter 24, verse 1, When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rock. So now, now you're on the run, you're hiding, and there's like this Apache helicopter, several of them, and like 3,000, you know, like rangers get off. and, And these are like special forces coming to hunt you. 3,000 hand-selected troops. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. That means go to the bathroom. He's just passing by a cave, and he just so happens to pick a cave and say, I'll be right back. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. They're hiding in, in a cave It's like SEAL Team 6, quiet. And then they're like, wait, there's one of them. (gasps) It's the king. And they're all like, kill him. Kill him. Let's go and kill him. And what does David do? Well, the Bible says that David snuck up and he just cut a corner off of his robe. And the Bible says that it cut David to the heart to even do that. Why? Because David does not have the authority to kill the king. Only God can do that. And even, this is, David is such a man after God's own heart. Even, oh, I feel bad. I'm sorry, I tore your clothes. You ruined my life. I'm, I, I tore your clothes. I'm really sorry. I feel bad about that. Guys, I feel bad. I can't do this. Okay? He goes back and he's like, sit down, everyone, sit down. You're not. We're not doing this. This was a test. I believe if David had taken him out, this could have led to, more bloodshed down the road. This could have been the way that Israel then appointed king after king after king. He could have even lost the throne if he struck the Lord's anointed. This was a test. And David is learning self-control. Interesting result. Interesting result. Look at verse 16. David goes out of the cave and he yells to Saul and says, I could have killed you, but I didn't. 
soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Saul goes on to say, I know it's true, you are going to be king. Do you see how David doing the right thing disarmed his enemy and brought God's favor and blessing? When David does the wrong thing, people get hurt, people get killed, and God was teaching him lessons he would need to learn as a king. David does the right thing, even his enemy is weeping and cut to the heart. The cave is meant to teach you self-control. And listen, the moment that you are tempted to step into God's shoes and begin solving your own problem and being your own prosecuting attorney and meeting out justice and doing back to those what they did to you and all that, it's not self-control. You've got to leave room for God to settle things. The last thing David learned is faith. Are you learning prayer? Are you learning patience? Are you learning self-control? And are you learning faith? God was showing David, I could surround you with an army of outcasts. I could protect your family. I could save your life. And God was filling the cave with evidences of his grace and his goodness. God showed David Saul's life could be over. Trust me. And listen, when you face a trial, believe. This is your chance. This is your chance with with a white-knuckle grip to cling to your faith like never before. This is your chance to tell the Lord, I know that this is true, and I know that you're good, and I know that you're going to see me through it. Believe that when you face a trial that is heavy enough to crush you, that's dark enough to blind you, that lasts long enough to beat you, believe that God is strong enough to carry you and bright enough to guide you and faithful enough to outlast your trial. Believe it. And understand that your fears are lying to you about your God. Believe Him, not them. That's the crisis of faith. This brings us back to the beginning when I read to you a poem that talks about God's ways. and Let me close by reading that to you again. When God wants to drill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him, into trial shapes of clay, which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses and which every purpose fuses him by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. Father in heaven, I'm grateful this morning that your word is so honest about life. I'm grateful that you have a word this morning for all those who are sitting in a very dark and depressing and undesirable place, wondering if they've missed your plan, wondering if they've grieved your heart, wondering if they have... They don't know. But Lord, my prayer is that you would help them to see that there are lessons of faith that can only be learned in the cave. David 
suffered. It was unjust. It was unfair. And Lord, if David, the, the king who you anointed, if he's going to suffer, if, even if your son, the Lord Jesus, if he was out in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted and tried and suffering, Lord, we will suffer. In this world, we will have trouble. And my prayer is that you would teach us what it means to make you our refuge. Give us hope. Remind us of your goodness. As our faith grows and increases, Lord, be the hero of these undesirable chapters in our lives. In Jesus' name.